Now, I know what you're thinking, um, and I, I can read it on your faces. I can, um, if I could read your mind, I would do that, but actually I wouldn't do that. But um, I, I can almost see it in the room, and I'll just answer the question now. Um, it happens every time I come to Portland, basically, um, and I know it's confusing, but uh, no, I'm not John Mark. And <laughs> I, I get that a lot. It's so weird. Like, every time I come to Portland, or even if I'm just in a bookstore anywhere, they're like, wait a second, is that John Mark? And I go, you know, oddly enough, I do get that a lot, but no. And now the reason in the simple way you can tell the difference is if you take one second and you take a deep breath in and then you look at us, you'll notice that um, John Mark is actually taller than me. And so um, I'm a good 5'8", maybe 5'9", with some shoes on, but uh, and he's at least probably six foot. Everything's like, everything at 5'8", seems like six foot. And so uh, there's always that little bit of a difference. He's, he's definitely taller than me. And then if you really are getting us confused, um, I've also said you can check out the hair texture. That's another problem. But I do think that John Mark should probably go for the same look. I think it'd be really cool to see John Mark in dreads. And so um, if you're for that, email him. I'm kidding. He would hate that so much. I did not say that. Delete that from the podcast. And so um, anyway, my name is Christian, and I'm not John Mark Comer, but I am happy to be here. And uh, I love this community. If I believed in having two churches, this would be my second church, uh, but I don't be a part of one. And so I work with college students in a Christian university. That's why I say that all the time. And so if you go to a Christian school, I think George Fox is close. You'd probably understand that, that joke. But um, Anyway, I work in a great, a really great community out in Seattle. It's called Northwest University. It's a Christian university. And it's a bunch of people who um, are 18 to 22, about 1,000 of, of them, and I live with them. Yeah, so you understand. Um, so if you want to pray, you can either pray for them or me. I'm not sure who, who. probably changes. But um, I, I live with about 1,000 undergrad students who um, are all studying different careers, wanting to go into different vocations, go into different places in the workplace and whatnot. Um, but they're all also interested in following Jesus. And so I think I have a really awesome uh, job and career that I get to be a part of right now with a bunch of cool college students in Seattle. I did honestly have the, like, for my whole life, I'm born and raised Seattle, um, you know, and I, I always had the kind of, like, Seattle snobbery of, like, Portland's the little brother vibes. And then I came to Portland and ate your food. And... Um, <laughs> I was like, wow, this is this city. Maybe God is doing something here. And so, um, yeah, you guys have great food, great people. I like that it's walkable. And so Portland is growing on me. Um, so that's for you, Gerald. Now, um, um, let me think. What else did I want to tell you? Along with all of that, though, if you wouldn't mind, um, turn your Bibles to Matthew chapter 13. And in a moment, we'll jump in there. Matthew 13. Y'all got real Bibles. I don't hear the silence of swiping. That's really cool. Um, real Bibles. We're going to church tonight. And so we're, um, yes, church is a verb where I come from. And so, you know, have you ever been one of those moments where you're doing your devos, you read your Bible in the morning and uh, you're in it and you're like reading the words of Jesus. So you're reading, you know, just something in the Bible, probably Leviticus, because that's what we all do. And um, you're in there and you get to a point and you're just like, huh, I ain't sure what the heck that means. And you just kind of move on. You're like, yeah, thanks, Jesus, for your word, I guess. And you just kind of move on with your day. Um, Yeah, that was me with Matthew chapter 13 about two weeks ago. I was sitting outside because it was finally sunny in the Northwest. And you're like, God must be here. And um, I was sitting outside reading my Bible and um, got into Matthew chapter 13. And I read this parable. And I was like, that's interesting that you would say those things, Jesus. I don't know what that means. Cool. And I like just breezed on. I'm like, I'd really love to hear someone teach on that one day. And maybe like one day someone will like explain that. I'll read a book on it or a commentary. And then literally that afternoon, John Mark texts me and says, hey, um, so you're going to be speaking out of Matthew 13. And I'm like, cool, because God's ironic. And so um, that's basically how we got set up. Let's just be honest. So show my cards there. I didn't even want to read this for my personal time. And now I have to do it for you. And uh, <laughs> that's awesome, isn't that? But that's the irony of God. But I will say this. I will say this, anytime uh, we get together, and I say this in the community I'm a part of, anytime we get together, anytime we sing songs, anytime we open the scripture, anytime we, we come together to pray, there's always one goal and one goal alone, at least I think, and that's what we say in our community. And it's not to walk away to say, wow, that was really good worship, even though the team here is just bomb. Um, it's, but it's not to walk away going, hey, that was really good worship. And it's not to say, wow, that was a good teaching, or that's a good preacher, or that's a good sermon, or that was a good prayer time, or that was a good, oh man, I felt it, you know? That's not the goal. Those things are great, but it's just icing on the cake. The goal, every time we gather, is to walk away and say, wow, that's a good God. Amen. Wow, that's a good God. 
And that's my hope for the next however long we have together, that we would just spend a few minutes considering the words of Jesus, the teachings of Jesus, the life of Jesus, the rhythms of Jesus, maybe the invitations of Jesus. And maybe by the end of tonight, if nothing else, we could go, wow, that's a good God. And so if you're ready, willing, or even if you're indifferent, that's fine with me. Would you mind standing, though, for the reading of God's word? Thank you. Matthew chapter 13, and we'll start at verse 24. Jesus presented another parable to them. The kingdom of heaven may be compared to a man who sowed good seed in his field. But while people were sleeping, his enemy came, sowed weeds among the wheat, and left. When the plants sprouted and produced grain, then the weeds also appeared. The landowner's servants came to him and said, Master, didn't you sow good seed in your field? Then where did these weeds come from? An enemy did this, he told them. So do you want us to go up and pull them up? The servants asked him. No, he said, when you pull up the weeds, you might also uproot the wheat with them. So let both grow together until the harvest. At the harvest time, I'll tell the reapers, gather the weeds first and tie them in bundles to to burn them. But collect the wheat in my barn. He presented another parable to them. The kingdom of heaven is like a mustard seed that a man took and sowed in his field. It's the smallest of all the seeds, but when it's grown, it's taller than the garden plants and becomes a tree so that the birds of the sky can come and nest in its branches. He told them another parable. The kingdom of heaven is like leaven that a woman took and mixed into 50 pounds of flour until all of it was leaven. Now Jesus told the crowds all these things in parables and he did not tell them anything without a parable so that what was spoken through the prophet might be fulfilled. I will open my mouth in parables. I will declare things kept in secret from the foundations of the world. Then he left the crowd and went to the house. His disciples approached him and said, explain to us the parable of the weeds in the field. He replied, The one who sows the good seed is the son of man. The field is the world, and the good seed, these are the children of the kingdom. The weeds are the children of the evil one, and the enemy who sowed them is the devil. The harvest is the end of the age, and the harvesters are the angels. Therefore, just as the weeds are gathered and burned into the fire, so it will be at the end of the age. The son of man will send out his angels, and they will gather from his kingdom all who cause sin and those guilty of lawlessness. They will throw them into the blazing furnace where there will be weeping and gnashing of teeth. Then the righteous will shine like the sun in the Father's kingdom. So let anyone who has ears listen. This is God's word. May we be good hearers of the word and better doers. May we trust what Jesus says. May we follow Jesus well. You may be seated. Have you ever had an experience in your life where you just sense that God is showing up? Not rhetorical. Yes, no, maybe. Yeah, where you've experienced... God, and you're like, wow, God, you're just doing some, like, you're doing some cool things. Like, this is kind of tight. Like, you're seeing God just show up and do incredible things. Where you're like, man, he's just present and he's kind. I've been having a few of those in the last about month of my life. Um, last month, I got the really cool privilege of traveling with a group of our students from Northwest down to India. And we were in this uh, village outside of Mumbai, about two hours outside of Mumbai. And while we were there, I had this really cool opportunity where I got to uh, be in this slum in this person's house, which honestly, comparative to the stuff that we have, you, you can barely call it a house. And that's not offensive. It's just, it's just the reality of what they're living in. And we're sitting in this place, and a few people started showing up to the house. And I remember sitting in this house, and all of a sudden, uh, we started opening up our Bibles together. And we had people from different cultures and different worlds opening up the scriptures and following Jesus and asking questions. And you're just like, man, my God, this is beautiful. Who would have thought in the middle of India that I would just be in this place where I can just sense that you're goodness. And we started singing worship songs in English and then in Marathi. And at, there was one point where they're singing in this language called Marathi, and I could recognize the melody. And it was, da 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 praise him, all creatures here below. And they began to sing the doxology in another language. And it was just beautiful. And you're just like, wow, God, I can sense what you're doing. You're just so cool. And you just do good things in the world. And, you know, um, a few last, not last week, a few weeks ago, I was down in Arizona and I was, had the opportunity to preach at a youth camp with about 400 high schoolers and junior high students. And um, that really smelled <laughs> like, it was just, it was just it was like, oh, 
wow, the atmosphere is thick, and it's not from the Spirit. Help me. And um, I remember being in the room, though, and I, the weeks prior to it, I was uh, writing, I was just praying, going, God, do you have any words, any pictures for this group of people, for these young people, and I really care, I want to care about them and pastor them well and be here, and he gave me some names and some words, and I remember on the second, or th- the second night, there was um, a name that I'd written down earlier, and I think it was Miranda, and I just said, hey, I have this sense that there's someone in here named Miranda, or maybe more specifically, it's a mom, um, someone's mom is named Miranda, and she's been having, like, head issues, and, um, and I don't know what's been going on, but she's just been having pain in her body, and maybe her head, is that anybody, and this girl sitting right about here, raise her hand, and she just goes, yeah, that's me, and that's my mom, and that's her name, and I don't know how you know that, but that's, that was going on, and she, she, her, her head has been swollen for, for weeks, maybe months, and she hasn't been able to work, and she's in pain, so 400 high school and junior high students stretch their hands out to this girl. And they just begin to pray for her for like 10 seconds. We're just like, we're not going to pray long. Don't need long prayers, but we're going to pray. And they prayed for her. And so this girl comes up to me the next morning, just like, Christian, Christian, you'll never believe what happened. I'm like, girl, what's going on? It's 8 a.m. And she goes, um, she goes, Christian, I called my mom last night, and you'll never believe this. It was actually around the time, I think service was finishing around 9. That's when you were praying. It was around 9 o'clock. She said that she felt like a hand on her, like head. And she felt like this warmth in her, in her head. And all of a sudden, like, her swelling was going down. And she was, the pain was subsiding. And she's like, I think my mom got healed last night from being miles and miles away. You guys, we prayed for her, and she wasn't even in the room, and she got healed. And I'm like, yeah, because God is so kind. God is so good. He's so faithful. Have you ever experienced the kindness and the mercy of God in your life? I had a student who texted me this week. He's like, Christian, my parents have been apart for months, I think maybe years, and we've been praying for them. I've been praying for them, and honestly, I've been discouraged, but I've been praying for them every once in a while. My dad called me this week and said, our parents, they're moving back in together, and they're coming together. And he's like, man, like, I didn't believe it, but God's actually like, just moving in my life and doing cool things. And isn't it incredible that the moments that God shows up? It's just like, you're like, ah, thank you, God. Like, thank you for the ways that you show up. Thank you for your mercy and your kindness. It's those moments when God just breaks into your life. And I could even think one of my best friends, her name is Caitlin, and we're in a band together, and we get to travel and do worship at times. And um, her husband's one of my good friends. His name's Jared. He's 29 years old, and him and Caitlin just moved from Seattle to Montana about a year and a half ago to go plant a church. And we've just been seeing cool stories there. Um, but in April, um, she, she gives me a call and just says, Christian, something's wrong. I'm taking Jared to the hospital. I'm like, okay, just let me know what's going on. We find out out of the blue, he just woke up one morning, and they found out it was like stage four cancer, and it's just a mess and ugly. And it was just aggressive and horrible, and he's 29. And you're like, this is not the way things should work. And this is, you're just frustrated, but you're, we're praying and people all over the country are praying for him. And while I was on vacation this last week on Thursday, I got the call saying like, hey, Jared's actually, the cancer's going away. It's dying off. Like he's, he's healed, like it's free of it. And we're just like, I, I was in the zoo, the San Diego zoo, and I screamed in the zoo. I was just like, oh my gosh, this is incredible. Like God is so faithful and kind and God does good things and he's breaking into my life in certain ways. And have you ever just felt that? You're just like, there's a swagger in your step and you're just like, man, God, like the way that you show up is so good and you're so kind and you're so merciful and you're so, just me or have you ever had that? And you just feel the goodness of Jesus working in your life. But for every one of those stories, we also know that there's so many stories of pain and also so many stories where God, you're like, God, what are you doing and what's going on? I remember being in India, and I remember walking the streets just a few weeks ago, and I was walking in this village in the city, and there's hundreds and hundreds of cars speeding by, speeding by, speeding by, driving crazy, no lanes, and, and by, this, by the traffic, you see this pile of kids, literally a pile of probably 30 kids just lying on the street in the 100-degree weather, and next to them, you see this adult, and you go, man, that's like, and you put the pieces together, that's probably their pimp who's like sending those kids out to go pickpocket and steal and beg and then takes all the money and keeps it for themselves. And you look at the world sometimes and I'm just like, God, what the heck? Like, what's going on? Have you ever seen that and felt the injustice of life and things where you're like, God, that's not the kingdom. That's not what you're about. That's not how you do things. Or I remember spending multiple days in the slums and we played with these kids and told them stories about Jesus and we're hanging out with them. And I Spent um, five days with this one boy named Ion, and you'll see him right there in the pictures. He's the kid on the right, and uh, he's pretty standoffish at first. He was kind of the ringleader. He's the punk, and I love the punk kid. Um, and you, 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 but you, by the last day, he kind of opens up, and I start to find out that his dad beats him every night, and he's afraid to go home. And my dad's so good to me, and I can't imagine what that's like. And I remember just getting an opportunity the last day before I left to pray with him. And honestly, I was so mad because I'm just like, God, this is not the way. Oh, wow, that hit me. This is not the way that the world is supposed to work. Like, this is not the way things are supposed to be. This is not how you're supposed to do things, God. This is not the kingdom. This is not shalom. This is not peace. This is not justice. And you even think about in our own country right now, in our own world right now, that doesn't take much work. I mean, think about this. America is 4.4% of the population of the world. 
Yet America also has 22% of the population that's incarcerated. That math ain't right. Especially when you count that um, African Americans are only 14% of the population, yet there are 33% of the people incarcerated. That just doesn't add up right. And you go, God, where is the justice in that? Where is the equity? Where is the peace? Where is the shalom? Where is the things that you, the kingdom that you said you're doing in the earth? What's going on? Or even last week, I was on vacation with one of my best friends. We were in San Diego, and it was heaven on earth. And I was just there enjoying the sunshine. And um, my buddy drinks coffee. I don't. But he's like, let's go to this coffee shop. I'm like, sick. And so we go to this coffee shop and um, find this kind of like cool indie spot. Basically, we just went to the Portland coffee places. So it's like, why are all these plants in here? Cool. And, um, and so I'm in this coffee shop that has more plants than chairs. And and so you get, I got, we, you know, we got our stuff and sat down after a while. And then as you leave, you know, you saw these two people who don't have homes. And they're begging outside of a coffee shop where all these indie cool kids, that pretty much looks like this room, are sitting there drinking their $6 chais while these guys are getting gentrified out of their housing. And you just go, that is not what God's about. That's just not the kingdom. And it doesn't take much but walking three blocks in Portland to see it and experience it. And the truth is, we all know what it feels like to be in the world and go, ah, there's good things, but there's some real bad. There's some ugly things. Have you ever just gone, God, what's going on? What are you doing? Where's the peace? Where's the justice? Where's the things that you're about? God, how long are we going to wait? If you've ever asked those questions or felt that tension, you understand what's going on in Matthew chapter 13. You understand what it felt like to be a Jew in the first century. Because for generation after generation, these people are praying and asking the simple prayer, how long, O oh Lord, must we wait? How long are we going to wait till you show up? You promised you'd come. You promised you'd set things right. You promised you'd fix things. You promised that you would come and there'd be the kingdom of God and you would rule and we would find the justice and the peace and the equity and the things and the society that we need, not only individually, but in a society as a whole. God, how long must we wait? And you think about this group of people who is a minority group being oppressed by an oppressor. They're under the boot of Rome. And you can imagine what that's like where there's not justice and there's not peace and there's just tension and hostility. And frustration. They're going, how long, God? How long are we going to stand here? How long are we going to wait? When are you going to show up? And then a baby comes. Jesus. Yahweh saves. God with us. The word became flesh. It dwelt among us. And we beheld his glory. The glory of the only begotten son. Divinity puts on skin. Immortality becomes mortal. God becomes man. And all of a sudden, you almost feel like people's ears perk up. Like, wait a second. Is this what we've been waiting for? Is this the one who promised it? And so Jesus shows up on the scene, and he just starts announcing the kingdom of heaven is at hand. God is on the move. God is showing up. God is breaking forth. And you can imagine the skeptics in the room going, yeah, we've heard that before. But then all of a sudden, all of a sudden, he walks into rooms, and there's like peace that happens. Like you just, you sense something different in the room. And he walks into rooms and just things are different and they change. And people get so close to him that they can touch his shirt and they get healed. And just at the very word of his voice, a little kid miles away gets up from the dead. And all of a sudden you go, this guy is not just full of power. He might actually be the one who we've been longing for and waiting for. And you're going, wait, maybe this is him. Maybe this is the guy. Maybe this is the one we've been longing for. Maybe this is the guy we've been waiting for. Maybe this is the guy that we've been hoping for. And Jesus shows up on the scene and he announces the kingdom of God is at hand. And you and I, you guys go to an incredible church. You're a part of a great community that teaches the Bible so well. You understand that the kingdom of God is not just like colonialism that puts down a flag. No, no, no. The kingdom of God is something so much better. It's the rule of God. It's not just the place that God shows us, the place where God is in charge, where he rules, where there's peace, where there's everything that God is about, everything that God is, we experience that. That is the kingdom of God. And Jesus begins to announce that the kingdom of God is at hand. It's coming and it's present, which asks a really interesting question. Not so much is the kingdom of God coming, but what is the king like? You know, like, if, if God's coming, if God's on his way, if that's a true statement, and because, you know, Jesus isn't just putting out, like, ideas to consider, he's making claims about the fabric of reality. And so we can't just listen to him and assume and just take him like, oh, that's good ideas and good advice. You know, Jesus doesn't think he's giving good advice. Also, it's annoyingly terrifying how many people Jesus lets go away and walk away. That's a different sermon. I'm not touching that. Good luck, John Mark. And so... Um, <laughs> But you, 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 you get this idea that Jesus, he says, the kingdom of God is at hand, it's coming. And the question on everybody's minds is, what is this God like then? Is he kind? Is he merciful? Is he just? Is he, like, maleficent? Is he, is he vengeful? Is he angry? What is he going to be like? 
who is this God and what is he like? And what, what is the king going to be like? What's his rule? What's the kingdom going to be like? And so Jesus goes to a lake shore, just chilling, beautiful Portland day, sun is out, Yahweh's in the place. <laughs> and you see him at a lake shore, and you can imagine it being breezy, and you know, you see um, the disciples, you can imagine his 12, the apostles, they're there, they're gathered with him, and they're probably in a group, you know, they're all there listening to his teaching, and then there's probably another group of people, I'm just assuming, but you could imagine crowds are gathering to him, so there's probably people there who've been healed by Jesus, set free by Jesus, released by Jesus, experienced his peace, people who've seen Jesus do incredible things, and they're probably there going, I've, I've experienced what, what you've done for me, and I'm willing to listen. You can imagine there's a group of people there going, uh, I've heard about what you can do for people, and y'all, I just need to get mine, and so like, Jesus, if you could do that for them, you could probably do that for me, and they're listening, and you could imagine a group that's like me, who's probably over there like, I'm hearing about this guy, but I'm a little skeptical, like, what does he have to say? I've heard about it before, and you can imagine there's the skeptics, and the cynics, and the people, sorry that you're the cynics group, but that's just how life works, and there's a group of people who are over there just going like, eh, but I, we might as well check it out, and you can imagine this crowd of people all gathered around Jesus, wondering is he the one? And what is this rule about? And so we see in Matthew 13, Jesus opens his mouth and teaches a parable and says, the kingdom of heaven is like a man who's sowing seed in a field. It's maybe like a farmer, I don't know, a landowner, and he's just seed everywhere. And the Bible says that it's not just any seed, it's good seed. And so we know that this farmer, this landowner, this guy, he is intending good. He wills good. He desires good. He plans for good. He prepares for good. He goes out and gets the seeds for good. Thank you, Jesus. He goes and does the things for good, and he gets all this good, good. And not only does he intend good and want good and plan for good, he starts to do good all over the field. Good, 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 good. It's just how he works. He just does good everywhere. And the Bible says that at night, you can imagine he finishes planting seeds, and the sun goes down, and it's night. The Bible says that the enemy comes in, and as the night, and he begins to sow something else in the good world, in the, next to the good seed. He sows all these weeds or if you like the old King Jimmy, the tares. Mm, the tares. That seems like villainous. The tares. Among the weeds. These weeds and these tares among the wheat. That's what he sows all over the garden. Now the tares, the weeds, it's this word in the Greek. Um, it's called zizanion. Try saying that. Zizanion. Okay, say it like you're not afraid to fail, you threes. I'm a three. That's why I can make fun of it. Um, but it's this idea of, it's like a false wheat. It looks like wheat. Probably smells like wheat. I'm not a farmer, I don't know, but it smells like wheat. <laughs> it actually grows like wheat. Because what the Bible tells us that it was only in time, after maybe days, maybe it was weeks, who knows, it's months go by. And as the wheat begins to grow, so do the weeds. They begin to grow. But the wheat starts to produce a crop and the, the weeds don't. Which goes to say something that sometimes sorting out the wheat and the weeds is kind of difficult because it takes the maturity of the wheat to grow and produce crops before you notice the weeds. That'll preach. And you think about it for a second, and all of a sudden, they come running to the master. Ma- wait, 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 hold on a second. Um, master, uh, we're noticing there's weeds in the field. This is your field. Uh, yeah. You made this field. Yeah, you purchased this field. You own this field. You, you sowed good in this field. Yeah. Um, so why are there weeds in the field? Which we have to pause for a second. You remember the end of it, and Jesus explains what it is. He says that the good farmer, the guy who's sowing good seed, that's the son of man. That's how Jesus identifies himself. It's the son of man. He says, the field is the world or the cosmos. It's the world. God's doing good in the world. What he sows, the wheat, it's the children of the kingdom, the children of the Father, the children of God. What the enemy sows is the children of the enemy. He sows bad things. And the enemy, it says, is the devil, the Satan, the one who is opposed. And you see these people, these workers for God, and they see the work of the enemy and their first question is, God, was that you? God, wait, did you do that? Which is so relieving. Because that means that Jesus isn't afraid of our questions. Jesus isn't afraid when we see the weeds in the world and go, wait, was that you? Were you doing that? Were you about that? Did you put weeds in there? Did you mess this up? Is, isn't, isn't this your field? Aren't you the one who's the farm? Aren't you the one? Isn't this your field? Aren't you in charge? Isn't that what you plan? He goes, no, no, no. This time, in this instance, in this case, the enemy was at work. There's tares among the wheat. Have you ever experienced the tares among the wheat? Have you ever experienced the weeds among the wheat? 
It's like you experience people and you meet people in your life, and there's just like, it's probably your community. If you're not a part of a community, get in part of one. If you're not a part of one, get in one. I'm not paid to say that, but get in one. And um, you're a part of a community, and you have these people who are just like sons of the kingdom, daughters of the kingdom. They're children of God, and they're just adding life and value and peace. And it's like you get around those people, and it's like the rule of God is like just, you just sense the presence of God and the goodness of God, and they're just adding value, and they're making, there's, there's fruit. There's harvest. There's things that are coming up. You just sense the goodness of God with these people. And it's like you have a great conversation with someone like that, and then all of a sudden you go in a different space, and there's a weed. And somebody else with the same mouth, they break you, and they cut things down, and they do. Have you ever experienced incredible peace where you've seen God do something that's so beautiful, and the next moment you look in the world and see chaos? Have you ever experienced and seen beautiful moments of generosity, of justice, of the mercy and the kindness, the things that God is all about? You see the seeds that God is planting, and then all of a sudden you see injustice and pain and trauma. Have you ever experienced that? Have you ever understood that? Do you know what that's like to experience the weeds among the wheat. And we see this parable, and Jesus is essentially saying there's, there's, there's weeds and there's wheat growing together. In life, they're evil. there's evil and injustice perpetuated by people. And we know that. We see that. And maybe I'm just cynical, but I get around these moments, and I'll just play my cards. I'm probably just too cynical, but I, I, sometimes I get in these moments, I go, God, what the heck? Like, God, what are you up to? What are you doing in the world? God, is this how you run things? If this is the rule of God, do I really want to be a part of it? If this is the justice of God, is this really the peace of God? Have you ever asked those questions and prayed those prayers? I mean, sometimes those prayers don't even happen with words. They're just things that I'm feeling in my heart. You're going, God, this isn't the way that you're supposed to do things. This isn't the way that you're supposed to, supposed to run the world. This isn't the kingdom. And all of a sudden, we understand the tension of the wheat and tares. We understand the tension of life. We understand the tension of people expecting the goodness and the mercy and the kingdom of God in the earth through people, yet there's weeds. There's weeds in the field. And we know what that's like, and we know the frustration and the pain of it. So we can understand the questions that they're asking. And Jesus says, in many ways, God's kingdom has come into the world, but it doesn't come the way that we expect or even necessarily want. In short, God's rule is like good people and bad people living together. The enemy's work and God's work happening at the same time. Could you imagine hearing Jesus' words, probably like being in this room right now? Isn't that frustrating? (laughs) Isn't that annoying? Jesus is annoying sometimes. Let's just be honest. If you don't think it's annoying, you're probably not reading him right. Like, he says some things. You're like, Jesus, that's not the way I would run things. That is not how you should be doing it. But, uh, son of God, I guess. And so, but it's annoying, and it's frustrating, and it's disheartening. To hear the words of Jesus, expecting such comfort and mercy, expecting him to fix things. And he says... No, the weeds and the wheat, they're growing together. This is what's happening. And so you can understand what that's like and what that tension is. And what we normally do in these situations is one of two things. First of all, what normally leads us, it leads some of us to being passive. Ah, there's not really weeds there. There's not really weeds. It's, it's, it's not that bad. The problems aren't that real. It's not really that issue. It's, it's not that big of a deal. Or like me, you get more frustrated. You're like, I, what can I do to make a difference here? How could I help these? How could I fix this problem? It's too big. I, I could never help enough so I don't look left when I'm getting off the freeway and I just keep my eyes forward until the light changes green. And all of a sudden, it's, I, I, it's this passivity where for one reason or another, I, I, I'm, I'm passive towards the, the weeds of the world, the injustice and all the problems and the people, the hurt and the pain, and we, we avoid it and we don't live in the tension of it. And the truth is, Jesus doesn't ignore the weeds. The Christian gospel is not one that ignores the weeds. It's not passive. Jesus actually notices the weeds. He says, yeah, there's weeds there. I mean, imagine his posture. So relaxed. Not like me. So relaxed. I'm uptight. He's like, no, the weeds are there. And so what's the other response that most of us do? Because a lot of us probably aren't passive. And in 2019, it's pretty hard to be passive, let's just be honest. And it's not really the problem of my city in Seattle. I don't think it's really the problem of Portland. Um, And it's really not the problem with me, and it's probably not the problem with you. Most of us become more like the workers, and what do we do? Zeal. We essentially, we're like the workers going, I see the weeds. Uh, Do you want me to go pick them up myself? And all of a sudden, you and I become expert gardeners, and we're like, oh, yeah, I can get the weeds. And we just yank and yank and yank and weed, and we just pull crap up. (laughs) You ever done that? You just start weeding 
things out. You start pulling it up and pulling it up. And we just get so zealous and excited to deal with the weeds of life, to deal with the things in here. And we start pulling up weeds, every single one of us. And the truth is, you and I do it every single day. You know what you do? You look at the world and you look at people. You look at your friendships. You look at the people in your apartment and you see them. And you basically go, um, weeds, wheat, Weeds, wheat, weeds, 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 weeds. And you and I sort all day long. We see the different people in life and we look at the way that they run the field and the, one, the way that they work in the world and the way that they operate. And we assume that we understand God's vision for his field. And we assume that we understand God's vision for peace and God's vision for justice and God's vision for a beautiful world and society. And what we do is we get really zealous and we start pulling up stuff and we start trying to help God out. We start trying to sort the weeds in the wheat. And Jesus looks at his people and says, you don't need to do that, boo. Like, <laughs> slow down. That's not your role. You don't need to start sorting people out and differentiating between wheat and weeds. You don't need to do that. You don't need to start sorting. Do you know who starts sorting? Do you know who looked at the universe, who looked at the world and said, uh, the good, bad, oh man, you see these issues of society, people are going hungry and people are tired and people, society's not working, it's falling apart. Society is, is falling apart at the scene and people are dying. Do you know who, who did that? Thanos. Ha, didn't see that coming. <laughs> and nobody likes a Thanos. But we become great farmers. He was a farmer too. He wore the little hat and the, yeah, you saw it. My dad, um, my dad, he's awesome. I love my dad. But now that I professionally get to hold a microphone, I can make fun of him publicly. And um, my dad did things that I would probably label now as an adult. You know, the older you get, you like think about your childhood and you're like, wait a second. Like you just rethink situations. You're like, what were my parents? They did not know what they were doing or they just did a mess of things. My dad did some stuff that I would probably now label as ghetto fabulous. And... Um, <laughs> So my dad, when we live, we live in Seattle, or out, not in the actual city, but we live outside of it, and um, we have this house, and it has yard on every side. Like, we actually had grass on every side. Oh, a yard is this thing that houses used to have that, um, anyway, so we had a yard, and I have two younger brothers, and um, so it was just like a boy's playground where we had, you know, a little trampoline and all this stuff, and my dad, um, he used, he'd be like, Christian, you need to go mow the lawn, and by mow the lawn, you, there's more, more lawn than house, and so you'd like, you got to go mow everything. And that would actually take you um, Saturday morning, Saturday late morning, Saturday afternoon, no lunch, Saturday evening, Saturday dinner, like you just went to bed smelling like grass. But the problem that I asked my dad about, um, he's like, I was like, dad, you, you want me to build a lawn? Yeah, um, we don't have a lawnmower. Uh, and that seems problematic. And I was like, yeah, we have a weed whacker. I don't think that's how it works. And we didn't even have one of those sexy weed, mo- weed whackers that you could, like, pull, and it was, like, gas. He gave me a weed whacker and an extension cord. And by an extension cord, you gave me, like, four extension cords. And you just, like, had to go throughout. Have you ever tried weed whacking a lawn? It's horrible. It's devastating. And it don't look good. It ain't kind of even. It's just, like, LeBron's old hairline. <laughs> Woo! Anyway, it's just like uneven and messed up. I don't know where that came from because I don't even watch basketball, but that's real. Oh, my God. It's 7 p.m. And so you see, and it's just messed up, and it's nasty. I, I laugh at myself. That's what just happened there. And um, it's just uneven and messed up. And, you, and it's just all this. And when you take a weed whacker to a lawn to mow it, you just mess things up. And things get messy and destroyed and destructive. And it never turns out the way you really want it to be. And then if you're like me, you end up hitting a hornet's nest. And that's a whole other problem. <laughs> but what you and I often do is we, we take the weed whackers and we go in at the weeds. We go in at the weeds. And Jesus says to a group of people who want to go in at the weeds, don't do it. Why? Because when you pull the weeds, you're actually going to also uproot the wheat. This darnel, this weed, it was actually the roots would get entangled with the roots of the real wheat. And so what would happen is you'd go to pull one up and you'd pull up both. And you see Jesus' heart posture. He goes, I care so much about the wheat. I care about the wheat. I care about that. And if you don't, you, you don't realize it, but when you go for that, you're actually going to pull up the wrong stuff. And have you ever done that? Have you all experienced that? You know that tweet you had to delete? Yeah. You know that text you were like, sorry about saying that. You know that passive comment that you shouldn't? Yeah. When you and I start sorting out the wheat and the weeds in our life, we start sorting out people. And we start going after people. And we start hurting people that Jesus cares about. 
and that Jesus loves. And we see as Jesus goes, no, don't try sorting this out. You're not that good out of it. You're not, that's, that's not what you're supposed to do. And truthfully, and I think it's just assumed in the text, you and I are not qualified to sort the wheat and the weeds. Amen. We're not qualified. Do you want to know why? Because the way I sort wheat and weeds is wheat normally looks like me. And wheat normally sounds like me. Wheat normally thinks like me. Wheat normally uses their money like I would use my money. Wheat normally has the same size house or apartment that I would have because it's not too much money, but it's still like minimalistic and blah, blah, blah. <laughs> because that, that's probably a weed because they, they think different than me politically or they think different than me than this. And we'll look at their problems and look at their mess and look at that and weed, 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 weed. And the wheat never really looks like me. The weeds always, the weeds never look like me. I couldn't be the weed in the situation. And Jesus actually says something so interesting. He goes, yeah, you're not qualified to sort the wheat from the weeds. You know, this week when I was on vacation, I was reading some op-eds and I, I came across one and I won't even tell you who it was or what it was about, but it just like infuriated me just instantly. I was just like triggered and angry, which also, sorry if, I know we're talking a lot about wheat, if that's a triggering thing for some of you who like gluten and talk, whatever, sorry about that, but... Um, <laughs> But I read this op-ed, and I was so frustrated, like, immediately. And what I did, like any good follower of Jesus would do, is I went and talked to my friend because I was so pissed off. I was like, oh, my gosh, can you believe this person? And I can't believe what she wrote and what she said about this. And I, honestly, I was reading this op-ed, and it was just infuriating me. And I was going, can you believe that she would say that, that she would write that, that she would post that in an article online for people? And she's essentially perpetuating, like, her idea of human flourishing, and it's so antithetical to the gospel, and it's just ugly, and it's stupid. And I can't believe she would ever say that. That's so wrong, and... She's weeds. But then the problem is that Jesus teaches us that if you, even though you don't murder, if you even have anger in your heart, you may as well have already committed it. And then I realize, I flip the script on myself, and I realize I have some weeds too. I'm the problem too. I have the issues too. You know, St. Teresa of Avila said, um, be gentle to all and stern with yourself. I'm not too good at that. And in our culture of identity politics and issues of justice, we got to be careful. we got to be careful. We have to be really careful because Jesus may not be going after the weeds that you think he's going after. And Jesus may not be looking at people the same way you're looking at them. He's certainly not doing that with me. And it's annoying and it's frustrating. It's dangerous the, the way that we start to weed things out. And you realize that people honestly expected Jesus to do the same thing. That was one of the most frustrating things about Jesus, is Jesus would show up on the scene, and he, and people would expect him to go for the, he, actually, to go for the politics, to go for the throne. They wanted him to go after Rome, to go after the power, to go out of the temple. Jesus, when are you going to go after that? And Jesus, frustratingly enough, doesn't go after that seat of power, and doesn't go after to transform that. He actually does something that's so odd and foolish and weird. He actually allows himself to be crushed by the oppressor. And he does something so different. And you realize even on the cross, Jesus is preaching a gospel that says the enemy isn't who you think it is. And do you notice that the enemy in the story isn't the weeds? The enemy isn't the weeds. And even Paul says that we wrestle not against flesh and blood, but against principalities and powers and spiritual forces in high places. And we realize that the thing we might be fighting isn't the right thing. And we realize that when we start picking weeds, things get crazy and we're not too good at doing it well. So what does Jesus say to people like us? What does he say to people who are so zealous about picking the weeds? He says, let the wheat and the weeds grow together. Let them grow together. The kingdom of God is like weed, wheat and weeds growing together. And typically what we take from that is then just be patient, right? I mean, it makes sense. Like, let them grow together, be patient. And so what you and I do, and I'm just making fun of threes tonight because I am one, and one of my best friends is here, and she's three, and so easy target. And, um, but what we do, people like me often, we hear a good message, like, I can do patience. I can do this thing. And so we go after it, and we leave, and we're like, okay, I'm going to be patient this week. I'm going to, like, be patient with the weeds. I'm not going to frust. I'm just going to be patient, like Jesus said. See the weeds, let them grow together. And then about, what, Tuesday happens? <laughs> and all of a sudden, you realize patience is really hard. And, like, patience is kind of difficult. And patience is frustrating, especially when the weeds are this bad. And the weeds are this weedy, and things aren't the way they should be. And God, how long must we wait for you to fix things? And all of a sudden, being patient is a really difficult thing. 
But then we realize, too, that patience isn't something that the Bible ever talks about. It's something that I do. It's actually a byproduct. It's a fruit of the Spirit. Wait, so instead, to be patient, I actually am not supposed to try to be patient. I have to yield and keep in step with the Spirit. And I have to actually slow down. And I have to listen to his voice and his leading. And I have to actually do this little thing that all of us are bad at. And we realize that the real problem here is not that we are just impatient. Impatience is the byproduct of a simple thing. And it's because we don't really trust God. We don't, and that's our problem. We don't trust that God is good. We don't really deep down trust that he cares. We don't deep down trust that he sees. We really don't even trust that he has a plan. But can I tell you, at the end of this parable, it tells us that God does have a plan for the wheat and the weeds, and it's good news. And this is where we all get uncomfortable, especially in church in 2019. You're like, don't talk about that. Don't talk about the sorting. But can I tell you, Jesus in this parable says that one day there will be a sorting of the good and the bad, the good and the evil, the bad and the good. And all of a sudden we get uncomfortable with it. But the reason is not that we're really uncomfortable with sorting. Think about it. You and I sort every day. We go through people left and right and we go, wheat, weeds, wheat, weeds, wheat, weeds, good, bad, good, bad. Uh, you shouldn't, you're not helping perpetuate goodness in the world. You're not doing that. And all day long, you and I are naturally sorting, which means we're not afraid of sorting. We actually just don't trust that God is a good sorter. And all of a sudden, we realize that our problem is trust. And we don't really trust that God is good at this, that he's good at his job, that he's going to sort the wor- world well, but my question to you, struggling with that real quick, is don't you want the world to be sorted? Don't you want the evil things to be gone? Don't you want injustice to end? Don't you want not just it to be happening bad, like the bad things out there to end, but the bad things in here to end? Don't you want the peace and the shalom and the beauty and the love and the justice to flow in the streets of our cities? Don't you want the kingdom of God? We need sorting. But who should do it? Should your neighbor, should the person sitting next to you? Should your spouse? Don't, don't look at them, just look at me. <laughs> Should you? You're not qualified. I'm certainly not qualified. And we all of a sudden realize that the problem is we don't trust that God's a good sorter. And Jesus presents a parable that tells us that God is good and caring and kind and loving and patient. And what if God is actually slow to anger and abounding in steadfast love? And what if God's actually more merciful than I can imagine? What if God is patient? I think another problem that we have is that we don't really trust that God is patient. And Peter talks about, I think it's 2 Peter, maybe chapter 3, he says something along the lines of don't count God's slowness as being so slow. Tim Keller uses this example. I love Keller. He says, imagine you have a daughter. Imagine you have this little girl, and my little girl comes up to me. I don't know what her name is, but she comes up to me. She goes, Daddy, I really want a bike. I really want a bike. I saw this great bike at Toys R Us. It's awesome. It's $100. I'm like, Toys R Us closed, baby, but whatever. And, um, <laughs> but Toys R Us is resurrected. Amen. And so, um, and he's, Daddy, I really want this bike. It's $100. And I say, baby girl, listen. Listen, Daddy loves you. But we're not going to do the bike right now because um, if we wait three weeks, Target will have a sale on that same bike for $30. Never going to happen. But Target, Target's going to have a sale on that same bike for $30. And what does baby girl do? Ah! Oh! She's mad and she's frustrated. And truthfully, she thinks that her dad's patience is a lack of love. And her dad's patience is a lack of kindness. And her dad's patience is a lack of goodness. And her dad's patience, when really daddy's just trying to make sure she has food on the table. Daddy's trying to make sure that there's a roof over her head. And daddy knows the complexities of the household and the complexities of her life that baby girl can't even imagine. And if that's how our parents handled life, how much more could our God handle the complexities of the universe? We don't deeply trust that God has a plan and that he's patient. And so we start uprooting the weeds. I do it. You do it. Our core issue is that we don't trust God. Doesn't that sound so familiar to another garden or another field? Another garden, another field where you see this group of people that are in a garden and God's given them everything that they could ever need. And God just says, trust me. Trust the food that I'm going to provide. Trust the way I've planted this garden. And all of a sudden an enemy comes, an opposer comes into the garden and whispers in their ears and they take the fruit. And all of a sudden, again, we see the same story playing out. There are deep problems that, did God really say? Do I really trust God? We see Genesis 3 happen over and over and over again. And our core issue is that we don't really trust God. And Jesus is so kind, and he tells a story, and you don't see Jesus on a mountaintop or on a rooftop yelling, be patient, like I would do. <laughs> no, Jesus goes to a lake shore with the devout and the critics, with the skeptics and the cynics and the people who want him and the people who aren't even sure and he goes to a lake shore and you can imagine him just chilling in the breeze and so at peace so at rest 
And he doesn't give them a, just something to teach and to, a teaching, an idea to believe. He tells them a story and a parable. Do you remember the other two parables that he told them? He said, the kingdom of God is like a mustard seed. It's this insignificant, tiny, minuscule little thing, but when it's planted in the ground and it dies, it starts to bring forth a harvest that's so big that even the birds of the air will come and live in its branches. That's actually another um, allusion to, I think, Ezekiel, where he talks about the birds of the air, the different people from all over the world who will come and be part of the kingdom of God. Look at this room. Could you imagine that such a small little faith with 12 little people and a dead Messiah came back from the grave, would start something where here in Portland and then in Lenavala, India, would all be following the same guy 2,000 years later? Don't count small beginnings. Don't discount them. He says the kingdom of God is also like a little bit of leaven. You mix it in some dough. You put it in there, and all of a sudden, this little bit of leaven and this big thing of dough starts to, starts to mix, and it causes the whole dough to rise. It permeates the whole thing. The kingdom of God is small beginnings. It's insignificant starts. It's doing things the ways that you and I would not do them. It's doing things the ways that you and I are probably more frustrated about, probably ways that we wouldn't hope. It's wheat and weeds growing together. It's really, in a lot of ways, foolishness. But the Bible says that the foolishness of God is wiser than the wisdom of man. And you consider that God is so wise that he even uses things that are foolish to work in the world. Wheat and weeds growing together. And nowhere do we see the foolishness of God so beautifully captured than on the cross of Jesus Christ. We're on the cross, we see Jesus, who he understands himself in even John 12, where he says, unless a grain of wheat dies and goes into the ground, a great crop won't come forth. And Jesus sees himself as that grain of wheat that later brings forth a great harvest. And on the cross, we hear him saying the words, not of anger, not of frustration at the weeds, but Jesus knows who the real enemy is. Jesus knows who he's really coming after. And he says, Father, forgive them. They don't know what they're doing. I came for a different enemy. Weapons of our warfare are not carnal, but mighty in God to put on strongholds. And we see a God who's brilliant and handles weeds so different than we do. We may see wheat and tares. We may see a mustard seed. We may see a little bit of leaven. Oh, but Jesus sees the kingdom beginning and starting and growing and continuing. And isn't that how it happened in you and I? Isn't that how it happened? Do you just remember how you came to Jesus and how... It didn't happen in the most expected way. Some of us, I still some days don't believe that Jesus got me. I'm crazy. I'm a mess. Sure, some things have cleaned up, but you think about it, and Jesus gets us in these weird and significant, minuscule ways, but just wait. Have you ever seen someone who's followed Jesus for years, and you've seen that small seed grow and start to produce fruit of a whole different sort of way and beauty of life? So Jesus says the kingdom of heaven, it's like wheat and tares. It's like good people and bad people growing up. It's like a mustard seed. It's like leaven. And every time Jesus says the kingdom of God is like, he's also saying the king is like. God is like this. And Jesus doesn't just tell us things to believe. He tells us the story about a God who sees, a God who's good, a God who cares, a God who's patient, a God who has a plan. And that's good news. Friends, that's really good news. That could change things. That could actually possibly change the world. And our only call, our only invitation from Jesus is not to just try to be patient, but instead it's do something so simple. And it's, would you just trust me? Don't you hear his like whisper? Jesus, would you, friends, family, would you just trust me? Would you just trust me with the weeds? Would you just trust me with the tares? Would you just trust me with the way I deal with the wheat? Would you just trust me with the whole field? (laughs) Would you trust me with the sorting? Would you just trust me? He's so good. He's a good farmer. He's a good, good farmer. Just kidding. And (laughs) would you just trust me? Would you trust me with all of those things? Would you trust me? And he ends this parable with saying those simple words. If anyone has ears to hear, if you have the ability to hear what he's saying, would you listen? Would you lean in? Would you respond to that? And so if you need a practice, maybe for this week, if you need a spiritual discipline, if you need something to implement into your life to maybe help you with this trusting God in these seasons and these moments, the wheat and the tares in the field, maybe do what Jesus did and maybe just rehearse the good news. Just go back and just read the Gospels, read Revelation, read the stories about what God says he's doing and what he's doing in the world. Maybe the spiritual discipline that you and I probably need a little bit more is just to rehearse the Gospel and keep telling the story. And also tell it in community and tell it to people around us. Maybe you and I need to just keep rehearing the good news. Keep rehearing what Jesus is doing. Keep being reminded that he has a good plan. Keep reminding, being reminded that he's good, that he cares, that he sees, that he's patient. 
You know, honestly, um, in this season of life, these last few months have just been a, a mess in my own life. It has been the most unexpected, like, <sighs> in my life. And it's just been stuff where I'm like, God, what are you up to? What are you doing? What is going on? Stuff I couldn't control, stuff I couldn't handle. And I've just been like, God, I'm, I'm just so frustrated. And I'm so like, ah, God, what are you up to? And I just hear Jesus' invitation to trust me in those moments. What would your life look like if you did, you know? Imagine with me for a second, what would your life look like if you really trusted Jesus? Would it be filled with peace and joy? Would it have that easy yoke, that light burden? What would it be like? What will your life be like if you don't? Will it be filled with anxiety, anger, frustration, exhaustion from pulling up so many weeds or trying to be patient? Have you just been there and tired and weary? Come to me, all you who are weary, heavy laden. I'll give you rest. My yoke is easy. My burden's light. Learn from me. I'm gentle and humble at heart. In the season of my life where things have just been a mess, this, um, it's, just, it's just been weird, and it's really been a stretch of, honestly, I've been having to trust God in different ways than I ever thought I would have to. I was like, I didn't even know that was down there, and I needed to trust you in that way. And God's like, yeah, you do. And that's been me. And um, even my friend Caitlin um, with her husband with the cancer battle. And one of our favorite songs, though, um, it's this hymn. It's Tis So Sweet. And it goes, Tis so sweet to trust in Jesus. Just to take him at his word. And just to rest upon his promise. And just to know, thus saith the Lord. I'm so glad I learned to trust him. Precious Jesus, Savior, friend. And I know that he is with me. He will be with me to the end. And Jesus, Jesus, how I trust him, how I proved him o'er and o'er. Jesus, Jesus, precious Jesus, oh, for grace to trust him more. And the last verse of it says, yes, tis sweet to trust in Jesus, just from sin and self to cease just from simply Jesus taking life and rest and joy and peace. Friends, I'm here to tell you, you can trust Jesus with the tares. You can trust Jesus with the weeds. You can trust him with the whole field. You can trust him with the sorting. Why? Because Jesus is trustworthy. Jesus is trustworthy. Say it once with me. Jesus is trustworthy. And friends, that is good news. And more importantly, that is a good God. Thank you for listening to the Bridgetown Church Podcast. We are in the middle of a year-long capital campaign to raise money to buy a building on the inner core, an old, beautiful, historic church building about a mile from where we meet right now. If you have been blessed at all by this podcast and would like to give to that over and above your regular giving to your church, wherever you call home, we would love to have you participate in that. Feel free to visit bridgetown.church give for more information. Thanks for listening.